Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Behind the Journey. On this show, I talk about pouncing on opportunities. Hello, welcome to another episode. Um, I've first and foremost got to say that last week, obviously, I completely and utterly forgot to press record. And when I say forgot to press record, I don't mean that I turned up, sat down and did a whole podcast without pressing record. What I mean is that I literally forgot it was a Thursday and then it was a Friday. And then I thought, I'm just going to roll this through to the next Thursday and have a week off. So uh, it doesn't mean it's the end of the podcast. It's by far from the end of the podcast. I'm going to keep this um, drain dump or brain dump um, that I do every single week very much going for as long as I physically can because I think it's one of the best things that I actually do both for myself and in terms of uh, allowing you guys into my business life. Um, I just think it's an incredible um, podcast for me personally, so I'm going to continue doing it. There's no way as this old Pete is starting to wind up his podcast, not at all, uh, not at all. It's just I literally forgot. And we're in that sort of period of time right now where um, Fletcher Longstaff, our new business, is up and running. Um, it's been a really exciting time. It's um, the fastest business to profitability I've ever had in my life. Um, and it's pretty incredible because I don't have to do anything. Um, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing business. Uh, we've set it up in an amazing way. We've got some incredible advisors. And it feels really weird, me being on the outside, you know, um, not really knowing much about the day-to-day apart from just seeing the new clients coming on board and the team being busy. So um, really, really exciting time for that business. And um, I think it will, as I've always said, be one of the greatest investments I've ever done um behind behind bitcoin of course <laughs> um so that's amazing to see and, and brad's doing a great job of pulling that all together and um yeah it's fantastic so yeah apologies about uh, missing the episode um just one of those things i've been um out looking about for a, for a superstar a superstar for distract a young dynamic enthusiastic person that we can mold you know, we can really mold to be uh, a key person here at distract and um we, I thought we found someone. I thought we found someone over in Manchester and unfortunately circumstance wasn't right. And then I landed on someone else that I thought would be amazing that we could mould. Um, and it was just a young in- individual who who showed huge passion, a huge, huge passion at the age of about 21. And I really saw a young version of myself in him. I really saw a young dynamic individual who, who was going to do something um, big in the future. And I wanted to be part of that. But it's crazy what we're taught at school. It's crazy what we're taught at university. You know, when I said to him, you know, the role is going to be X, he didn't even know what that role was. And I said, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter what the role is. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to nurture. I'm going to develop you to, to, to be a real powerhouse in this marketing world. And it's going to be an incredible opportunity for you. And um, I think the problem we have as young individuals, Gen Z, millennials, et cetera, is that we take a lot of advice from our parents or our teachers, or our loved ones, or our close ones. And the problem that is, is that all of that stuff made a lot of sense in 1972, um, when our parents had been growing up in a very similar environment to their parents. And advice from your parent or guardian made a lot of sense back then. But we're living in a completely different world right now. We're living in a world that is developing faster than ever before. We're living in a world where Gen Z millennials are innovating faster than anything anyone's ever seen before. 
And the reason I say that is that advice from your parents on an era they have no idea about is probably the worst thing you can possibly do. Because you're asking for someone's advice on a world, on an industry, on a lifestyle they actually have no understanding or recognition about. And I think it's really, really important. And I did this a lot early days with my dad. I'd ask him for advice on certain things. He'd give me advice. It wouldn't be the best advice and whatever I was doing um, wouldn't go to plan. And I learned very quickly. It was actually Brad that, 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 that made me aware of this. I learned very quickly that advice from people who haven't done what we are trying to do is the worst piece of advice you could do. And I feel that there's many people out there, millennials and Gen Z primarily, who are taking career advice uh, from their parents or guardians who have never, ever had a career in the world we're currently living in. And, you know, we all know that our parents actually don't really understand our jobs anymore. And in some cases, you know, trying to explain to your your auntie or your granddad about marketing or digital marketing or being an entrepreneur, whatever, is very, very challenging. And I think that we have to wake up to the realization that sometimes not getting any input from people who don't understand is better than getting some input in a world they don't understand. And anyway, the reason I say that is I offered this kid this job. And when I say that it was the greatest job that I ever would have handed out, I really mean that. Uh, this kid was going to get some real close time with myself and Brad. We'd have developed him through. We'd have really put him on a pedestal. Um, his his ability to earn would have been huge. But because he was so inexperienced and so young, the salary was a couple grand lower than he was currently at in his um, trainee management role. And I said, look, you have no ability right now. I believe you have the, the potential for ability. And the moment you have the ability, you, you'll be paid accordingly. And the, the ceiling is un, un, unlimited. But because he was working for a PLC in a management trading role, his parents advised him to stay there. And it always baffles me this. It always baffles me this. And it's a Brad Burton quote. And he says, many think the safest job in the world is to work for a PLC until the PLC decides it's better off without you. And we've seen numerous different times of PLCs have just fired 20,000 staff and, or you've hit the ceiling and you can't do anything anymore. And I think the time for millennials and Gen Z is to start working away from the PLC. Go to an SME, go to a dynamic entrepreneur, learn from them, get the knowledge, and then either bounce out and do your own thing or go through their own system. Because right now at Distract and Featured, we have six companies we currently own and run right now. That'll be 10 in a couple of years' time. And if I'm saying to you, you have the ability to work alongside me and take up a role that you want, that is unlimited upside. But far too many people are looking at salaries right now or looking at what their parents are saying right now without seeing the upside. And look, I understand it. I get it. I'm a 27-year-old kid and Brad's a 25-year-old kid and your parents are probably saying, that's not a safe bet for you, Johnny. You probably shouldn't go there. But when you're 21, now's the time to take the risk. When you're 21, now's the time to go for that random chance that may or may not work out, right? But sitting in that PLC, doing that management training routine because your parents think it's the best thing to do, I just don't think that's great advice. And I think that unfortunately, we're living in a world where a lot of people are taking advice from people they shouldn't do. And I just think that we should be aware of it. I mean, one of the things that we're doing a lot at the moment is I'm just pouncing opportunities, right? Just pouncing. And 
I had an inquiry come through the other day from a, um, it was actually from Rippled. So Dan, who's the managing director of our mortgage company, uh, emailed me and said, look, this is Tom. He owns a wheel writing company. He's seen the system that Distractor built for Rippled and he wants a piece of it. He wants some of the system. I said, cool, no worries. Let's have a chat with him. And uh, I sat down and had a chat with Tom and his business partner. And I said, look, there's three ways we can go about this. The first way is that we, you pay us, we build build you a system like we've done for Rippled and um, you need pay us as a normal client and enjoy your life. You know, like we'll send you on your merry way. The second option is that we form a referral agreement, a joint venture agreement uh, with Rippled and Fletcher Longstaff because it fits in quite nicely. And the third option is that we do all of the above, but we also do more and it's free, but we want equity. And they were like, okay, cool, Pete, that's that's interesting. Let's, let's hear more. And I chatted to the two directors and I kind of gave them a spiel about what we're doing here at Distract and Featured and the business we're investing in and how Will Writing could be um, a really nice um, project for us all to work on together. And we're in all these different areas and we bring a whole skill set to the table. And they really liked it. They really, really liked the idea. And I sent the proposal over of what I proposed to happen. And I walked downstairs um, of the office and I said to Brad, we're going to own a Will Writing company. And he said, oh, God's sake, Pete, not another one. And I'm a firm, firm believer um, that when a opportunity lands on your desk, you should grab it with both arms. You should uh, move mountains for those opportunities. And it's proven with Fletcher Longstaff, right? It's proven in the business that took literally 12 to 15 months for us to buy. And that is the most profitable business I've ever had since day one. Uh, It's proven in that sense. And I believe we've proven time and time again. Now, this business is in very, very early days, and the deal may fall through with the wool writing company. And it, to be frank, most probably will, because they always do. They always do fall through, you know, seven out of 10 times. But the fact that I asked the question, this is the thing that I've been reiterating to you guys for literally about 100 episodes now, is that my number one skill set is not my ability as a marketeer. It's not my ability as an entrepreneur. My number one skill set is my ability to ask the awkward question no one else would ask. Think about it. Someone's inquired to pay for your services. Now, the distract MD of me goes, yep, I'll get payment for that services. Thank you very much. But the inner entrepreneur of me has said, no, I want to buy you. Now, that's a weird question to ask. That is an abnormal question to ask. And that's a question that most people would not ask. And because of that, I think that's where we are today. You know, I'm, I'm never afraid of asking the question. I'm never afraid of you know, putting myself in a strange position because I think there's potential upside in a different area. And I think that's the reason that I've got to where I am today. It's what else has been happening the last few weeks. We've been looking at um, a restructure of the whole organization. We've got multiple different businesses now, and we've got cross-company loans because, you know, different companies owe money to different companies to support them through their growth phases, et cetera. So we've been having a conversation with our support network, our, you know, FD, tax advisors, solicitors, et cetera, about maybe doing a restructuring of the whole group. Um, just to help from a uh, development perspective, you know, because obviously if you've got one company like Distract that does really well, it's lending money to, I don't know, um, the mortgage company or whatever, it needs to be an easier way of operating rather than having a, a cross-company loan. So that's getting done and that will allow us to to spin out more companies faster uh, without worrying too much about, you know, high taxes and also um, capital gain, sorry, corporation tax on uh, companies that are making money and then not getting the relief on companies that are losing money. So it's a bit of a, an exercise, but 
as other advisors have said, you know, it's very clear now what you guys are going to be doing. It's very clear that you guys are going to be aggressively buying or starting companies. And because of that, we have to now build the group in accordance to those ambitions and aims. Um, so yeah, that, that's currently being looked at. That's currently being moved forward with. And the other things that are on my mind right now is that we still have a large cash position. Um, I'm still slightly concerned about um, having uh, a number of cash on the company balance sheet and with all the quantitative easing that's going on in the wider economy. So I'm still looking at potential of maybe increasing our uh, Bitcoin reserve position just to make sure that we are diversifying. Uh, we have a good position in Bitcoin, uh, about I think it's uh, about 20% of our balance sheet. Um, is in Bitcoin uh, as it currently stands. I'm just debated maybe doing that slightly higher uh, and maybe liquidating some of it when it hits a, a higher number to, to to bring the cash back on the balance sheet. But um, I haven't had that conversation with the wider with the wider support team yet. And Brad, um, just because the initial decision was 20% of the balance sheet, which we've done, um, and um, you know it is it hasn't worked for us. The reason I think that is we've got other people in the space like MicroStrategy and Tesla, you know, loading up on on Bitcoin and, and making that investment. That to me completely proves the concept that Bitcoin will be a reserve asset. Um, and as I said uh, numerous times, there's been now two points in Bitcoin's career and through their volatility that has proven to me that it's going to be a success. The first one was going from 19,000 to 3,000 and then back to 19,000. That recovery, like a phoenix to me, proved that it was going to go to, to all-time highs and then the second thing has been tesla putting on the balance sheet you know people like elon musk don't mess around with 1.5 billion and they most of all don't mess around 1.5 billion in uh, tesla you know that proves to me that if tesla are okay doing that it's simply a matter of time before apple oracle microsoft etc do the same thing and i think that now we are in the bitcoin phase where it's simply a matter of time before this thing is a major 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 asset uh, we're currently at $950 billion market cap with Bitcoin. We're going to blink to a trillion. Um, and I think that um, it's just going to be a matter of time before um, more corporations get involved and then naturally uh, countries will get involved. Um, and I've actually had the conversation with our local MP about raising in Parliament and the House of Commons um, that Rishi Sunak should have, be having the conversation now about putting a couple of billion on the balance sheet. To me, it's a no-brainer. You know, we're currently spending billions of pounds on random areas. What's a billion pounds on, you know, transport? Um, you might as well put a billion pounds into digital gold. That's how I see it. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, if, if we had entrepreneurs running the country, I'm pretty confident they would be putting, you know, 3 4% of GDP into, into digital gold. It makes sense. You know, it makes sense. If we go back to 2009, when Gordon Brown sold our gold reserves, was, as historically one of the worst ever investment moves, um, ever in the history of mankind, selling our gold reserves at all-time lows um, during a period of time where we need to strengthen our balance sheet. Um, I think we have the opportunity now to to be one of the major leading nations um, building up on, on Bitcoin. And that's what I would do if I was Chancellor. I'd be putting probably 5% of our GDP into Bitcoin right now, make a statement. Um, we all know that if the UK government put money into Bitcoin, it would end up sending the price up anyway. Um, so we might as well... Um, we might as well be the first people to ride that wave. Now, as the as the local MP said to me, he said, "Look, Pete, I as much as I understand what you're saying, I find it very difficult to think that um, Rishi Sunak would do such an innovative measure right now when in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic." And I understand that. I also believe that because we're printing so much, what's the harm? 
So I don't know. I think that we won't be one of the first nations. I think we'll actually be one of the last nations to, to, to do it. I think there'll be nations such as Argentina, um, you know, these sort of countries where their, their, their currency is so much off the wall that will go there first. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It's, I think it's something that needs to be discussed in Parliament at some point. And I think the MP that does discuss it will be um, pretty much uh, applauded from around the world by the millions of users of Bitcoin. So that's kind of where I see it. I think now we've crossed the 50,000 mark. I think we're 51,000 now, give or take a little bit. I think that the next stop is 65,000 before a 30% pullback. And then I think we're on the way to 120 before another pullback. So I think we're in a really, really good place with crypto right now. Uh, and I'm really excited to be on the journey. And it feels pretty crazy that I loaded up around the, I don't know, three to $5,000 mark in March 2020. Uh, I feel really proud that I, I took the initiative, took the nerve on that one. Uh, and you guys have been hearing me my, me talk about this for, for, for weeks, if not months now. So you know my standing on the whole deal. So, yeah, I think the, the key thing is try and get up as much as you, as you possibly can. Obviously, not financial advice, do your own research, et cetera. But um, I, I, as I said to a lot of my friends now is that this is the moment where it's about to get out of, out of our ability to buy it. You know, it's about to hit the point now where it's just unfathomable to be able to buy one Bitcoin. And I think that that is pretty crazy when you think about it, that we soon could be at full prices of houses uh, at the price per Bitcoin. And at that point, you know, you need to mortgage a house, you're going to mortgage a Bitcoin. It's not possible. So pretty crazy, a pretty exciting time all around in space. Um, and yeah, I just think we need to keep our eyes on the ground and keep keep moving forward. Um Something I have a few weeks back is a, a good friend of mine uh, sent over um, some details for us to look at investment acquisition of his company. Uh, real great business, uh, real real phenomenal entre- entrepreneur, actually. I really get on with him really well, and his insights are always um, very supportive of me, and I, I've always been very honest with him back. And um, it's a business I'd love to be part of, but um, I, I sent it to our FD who um, found some points that, they, that she wasn't too keen on. Um, some points and rather than doing the standard you know we're not interested type thing or that you know this isn't the valuation you can work at you know i just said look because it's you i'll send you the the full show notes per se that she sent me so you can understand the advice that i'm receiving therefore hopefully it'll help you know you navigate your business um and of course you know some of the things that were said he was disappointed by and, and no doubt you know no doubt you would be um, but I think it's really important that as entrepreneurs, we understand um, when to feel disappointed and when to feel, um, what's the correct term to use? When to feel disappointed and when to feel for development, I suppose. And, you know, the business is not a bad business. It's a, it's a great business, um, absolutely great business. It just doesn't suit our, you know, our, our business model, I, I suppose, is what, what the RFD was saying. Um, but it's very, very important. I, I, do, I try and do this a lot. I try and get a lot of out, outside um, critique of the business or our business group um, because it allows you to be able to develop and build a better business long term. And I think that sometimes we can become quite strong up on what we're building. You know, we can be built, you know, we can be not egotistical is the wrong word. We can get quite protective over, over our own businesses and what we're currently building. And uh, when somebody says something that you don't believe, of course, it's going to knock you knock you sideways. But I think it's really important to know who to receive feedback from. You know, I've said this before. You know, you don't go to your your granddad for advice on the internet per se. Um, so it's always worthwhile. You know, when you're in the business entrepreneur space, is that you know feedback between between friends and between entrepreneurs is, is always well worth doing. And I do that quite a lot with my other business partners when they're looking into our business. You know, um, 
it's almost like friends, I suppose, looking into your business and seeing what you can do to improve it and what they can do to to solve certain key issues. And I think that open dialogue is probably the number one thing we should all be doing as entrepreneurs is finding someone that we can have an open dialogue with, especially if you're a solopreneur. You know, I'm very fortunate to have Brad and a really good support network. And some people don't have that. They, they're just solo entrepreneurs with all the you know, this normal stresses of life as well as all the normal business stresses on their shoulders. And it's a very, very hard, dark and lonely place to be. So I'm always very, very aware that if we are wanting to have, you know, the, go to the next level, and um, we should be having people like business partners on there to support us. And in some cases, I really mean this, in some cases, I think it's really crucial actually that that we focus on um, actually going out there and, and finding business partners, even if you have a business that's currently running, um, for example, let's say you're running a, a million pound turnover e-commerce store and it's just about getting by, it might be worthwhile, you know, potentially chucking some equity someone's way, you know, maybe as an, as a, as a, an option um, and getting their advice and getting their headspace and support you because you never know if that one person looking into your business and supporting you could turn that million into three million or four million. Um, and when you've been staring at the same blank page for so long, you know, it's quite hard to get inspiration towards a business and, and come up with innovative ideas. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan, a huge, huge believer in that way of thinking, in that line of thinking. And um, just because I've been so positively affected by having Brad so close to my other business ventures as well. And that's why every single time we do something, it's a no brainer to have that boy in our corner um, because I know the value he brings um, versus the uh, the actual time, um, you know, in terms of the equity loss, it just makes more sense to me to have two people who know how each other work supporting the same, same approach. Because I'll tell you what is hard. It's really hard if you're a solo business owner going to start another business with someone else. It's not so hard when you're a duo business partnership going to start a business with someone else. You've already got one man in your corner that you know is going to support you and back you. And that's really, really crucial when you're going through new startups and new businesses. So I think that if you're out there right now, um, go and find that business partner, even if you've already got an established business and maybe try and bring someone else to the team. And, and that could be someone that works internally already that you maybe just show them you know, more details of the business or maybe it's someone that's got a lot of experience in your industry and you can pull them through. I don't know, but I think it's very, very important that you actually you don't leave yourself alone from this because uh, it's very, very challenging to be able to navigate through difficult landscapes when you are by yourself. And, and that's not a statement to anyone in particular because I can feel how that might be a, the, the gentleman at his business and you may think that that's about him. It's not. It's just in general is that, you know, it's really, really crucial that we all have people on our side and on our team, and uh, especially during difficult times. It's difficult times for everybody right now. It's not easy at all. Um, and just while I'm on Bitcoin, yeah, personally, I'm, I'm fully vested. I've got quite a bit in the stock market though as well, but really Bitcoin is I'm fully vested into, into that asset. And I, I was speaking to my dad the other day and I said, look, dad, I said, this is our num this is our chance. This is, a, this, is, this is the property boom times 10 that the boomers have. Um, but this is the Bitcoin movement, right? And, and I really believe that, you know, for every, I don't know, every 10 grand you put into, well, I say every every thousand pounds you put into Bitcoin right now, I really believe that's going to turn to 20,000 pounds over the next five to six years. Um, and because of that, um, you know, I started looking at like assets to potentially sell. Like, do I sell my watch? Do I sell my, um, do, I, do I sell my stocks? Do I pull more dividends down from the company? You know, how do I acquire more positions? And I decided against it. I'm so balls deep in it personally that it would be stupidity at this point now to diversify it any, any further. And if I wanted to buy more, I could buy more through Featured, which is why the the, the conversation um, around maybe putting more of our, balance, our company balance into Bitcoin might make sense. But, you know, it's, it's a very delicate balance because you know, 
it's very easy to make decisions in business when you're really stable or a really stable business. So it's really easy for us to make decisions based on investments or navigating through difficult zones because we have a really good cash position. So if we started spending on Bitcoin and Bitcoin crashed, you know, it's probably not the best place to be. So having spoken it through now this podcast, as it's my brain dump, I'm probably going to hold my position exactly where I am and, and maybe just build up slowly um, as cash flow um, expands. But that's it. That's it for this week. Uh, God knows what episode number we're on now. It's getting pretty crazy. We're in the late 90s, if not early hundreds. I can't remember. Um, and it's pretty pretty amazing place to be. So thank you all for listening as always. Um, it really means a lot to me. Um, keep me positive. Keep, keep, keep moving forward. And I'll speak to you guys next week.